She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. Coming from a different country, the money wasn't really discussed within a family or learned how to manage. Now, half of my adult life in the United States, now it's my second home, what I have known so far over the last 15 years. So if I wanted to live and make my living over here and continue to live and call America home, I definitely need to change my views and attitude towards money, how I manage my finances. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. According to the Brookings Institution, between 10.5 million and 12 million undocumented immigrants are living in the United States. They come to the U.S. from across the world and under different circumstances. Some might be fleeing violence or persecution, others looking for a way out of poverty. Many just want to start over in America. But no matter where they're from or why they're here, once they arrive, undocumented immigrants share similar challenges. Many won't be able to get a driver's license or health care, and they may go without basic financial tools like a bank account or access to credit. Today's guest grew up in a far eastern country. At 15, she immigrated to the U.S. with her mother. She says that she's always been resourceful and hardworking, but as an undocumented immigrant, her finances were entirely cash-based. When she got her work authorization in 2015, she started living her American dream. She worked in fashion, rented her own apartment, and furnished her lifestyle with brand new credit cards, until she maxed them out. Andrea, a name chosen to protect her privacy, has since taken a hard look at her finances. She's working multiple jobs to dig herself out of debt, but she's not sure how to do that and prioritize her other goals, like buying property and investing for retirement. She's in her early 30s and currently lives in San Francisco, California. This is her story. I was raised by a single mother. Of course, the food and clothes were always scarce, but my mother always sheltered me from that feeling of we were actually poor. But however, my um, money was definitely uh, hard to come by. She knew that she does not have a future, especially for me as a single mom, growing up a young girl, trying to send me to college, and I knew she needs to get out. She wanted to give me that better opportunity and chance. Andrea and her mother had come to the U.S. on visitors' visas, and they never left. I was 15 at the time when we immigrated. I think she chose the United States because of the uh, notion of country of the free, freedom, and the dreamers, where all the immigrants come along. You know, I think that's the um, basic knowledge and idea she had. And we just overstayed our visa. So once we got in, we got in. That's all that mattered. And the next thing was finding a roof over her head. And she's finding a job because I was still underage. Those first few months in the U.S. were difficult. We landed in LAX. I remember with a small little booklet, translating book, because I didn't. None of us speak English. We didn't have understanding, you know. And using my little translator book, I would ask, "What time is it?" And somebody would answer, and I have no idea what they just said. Andrea and her mother eventually settled in Sacramento, California, 
where they got a tremendous amount of support from local immigrant communities. Andrea learned English over time and would become her family's English-speaking advocate. I remember one time my mother coming from a grocery shop because they charged her wrong thing and she wanted to tell her, hey, you charged me for a wrong price, this is not it. But obviously she struggled to express herself because she has such a limited English. So the managers came down and people just basically told her, you know, she's crazy and she needs to go or they're going to call her cops. And I was very frustrated with that story. And in the very next day, I came in with her speaking fluent English. And when I start speaking, their attitude completely changed. And they start catering. I remember uh, there was a tears in my mom's eye. They told me that they're going to call the cops on me. Now they're just completely catering. They're asking like what they can do and then apologizing. And that was, that was the one of the hardest parts to see. Like, wow. If you cannot speak English or express yourself or defend yourself, you know, people are willing to turn you away or take advantage of you just like that. From a young age, Andrea was resourceful and found ways to make money. I used to make this mixtapes, cassette tapes. I used to sell them to my classmates or do their homeworks for a minimum amount of charge. But whatever she made, she spent immediately. I as a girl, I turned around and bought CDs and posters and went to movies and um, spent it all. I wasn't aware of saving it or what it was mean. And I was just go around, turn around, buy things. After enrolling in high school, Andrea also started working at a small clothing boutique and was paid under the table. Her family's immigration status played a big role in their financial life. So we weren't able to apply for any credit cards or anything like that. So we learned how to use our cash that was, we were getting paid. Smart. So we learned how to manage our cash. Andrea's mother expected her to pursue a college education. But Andrea was responsible for figuring out the details herself. In California, if you graduated from high school and completed more than two years in high school you're automatically qualified as a resident. So I have uh, find out about that little uh, uh, niche, and I used it. I was able to find good scholarships. Given my dire situation background, I was given opportunity, which I was really thankful for, but I had to work hard for it. Andrea was granted a full scholarship to college, but one of the conditions was that she'd have to reapply for the scholarship every semester. First two and a half years, it was it was pretty easy. I didn't really struggle. When I was working full-time and going to school full-time, and I was making it happen. And later on in my third year in college, my mom fell sick, and she was hospitalized pretty often. So things started shifting. I was concentrating on going to work full-time, make sure paying the bills on time, because my mom's income is no longer there. And taking care of my mom, going to, uh, going to the hospitals, doing the translations and make sure she's okay and doing that. So school came last and my priorities just completely went upside down. So school wasn't my priority anymore. And the third year, I've seen the huge dip in my academics. My grades start falling and uh, I was a threat to losing my scholarship, which I ended up, I did losing my scholarship. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. 
Andrea had only one year left of college when she lost her scholarship. She decided to take out close to $21,000 in student loans in order to finish her fashion design degree. After graduation, she knew she would struggle to be successful in the US if she remained undocumented. So she hired an immigration lawyer in 2012. She was granted her work authorization in 2015. This would allow her to work legally in the US before becoming a citizen. At this point, she started thinking about her long-term financial future. As soon as uh, my paperwork went through, you know, I didn't have any credit score. So I, I, I wanted to see the bigger picture for myself. And within a five to six years, I want to purchase a house. You know, I want, I want to be able to have a nice credit score so I can start doing all those things I, I was never able to do before. So what I did was, after getting my paperwork, all the documentation done, I took out a personal loan from my credit union. What they have advised me was basically giving myself a loan back to myself. So I bring in $500 and loan it back to myself with the low interest rate. As long as I'm paying it on time, my credit score was going up. So within a year, I was able to reach 700 score very quickly. And that just opened up a whole different type of opportunity for me, which I never had before. But a lifetime of paying for everything in cash left her unprepared for the complexity of credit. And then all those credit companies like trap you, right? Send you all this, oh, the zero rate, apply for this credit card and this and that. And then I got really excited because I never had that opportunity before. So what I did was, you know, when American Express gave me one of those promotional letters, I signed up without realizing the consequences or how to manage a credit card to begin with. She had just moved to the Bay Area for a job and felt like she was finally living the dream until it became a nightmare. And I just, I just went gaga with my money. <laughs> I got my first apartment, applied for a couple credit cards and I was approved of. And I had this line credit for like $7,000 altogether. So I turned around and just start spending and furnishing a new place, going on trips that I was never able to go to. And I really wanted to buy a dream new car. And I ended up purchasing it without realizing all the consequences. And then the next thing I know, I was maxed out my credit cards, both of them, and still have my student loans I'm paying off. And on top of that, I had my immigration lawyer fees I was paying. Now I got this crazy expensive car I always wanted to buy. And the next thing I know, how much money monthly I'm bringing it in. It was at the time it was around five thousand dollars. I'm bringing in, but all my expenses all together included for the month was about closer to four thousand dollars. So I would have like a very small amount of money left over to get the groceries, pay for the gas, and whatnot. So I was able to save nothing. It was just going back and forth. So I was stuck back in the rat race in a bigger scale that I never thought I could end up with. But I knew I had to get a second job because I wasn't able to pay any of my expenses. So I got a second job in financial district here in San Francisco at a very busy restaurant, high-end restaurant. And the funny thing is I was making more money serving tables rather than uh, pursuing my own dream job. Andrea started to take stock of her financial life. So when I bought my truck, my car, I really wanted to buy it back in 2016. That's when I realized I made, I made a huge mistake financial-wise. And that's when I start questioning, 
where I want to be, how comfortable I want to live, and how do I get out of this debt. So I started questioning myself and three years ago and started doing a little research. And um, ever since within three years, I have changed my lavish lifestyle that I was having at the time when I first moved to Bay Area. So I decided to get a roommate briefly. I only had it for a year because that really helped. And it was just a temporary solution. So that worked at the time. I cook at home. I don't. I barely dine out uh, once or twice a week if if I need to necessary. And I start shopping for secondhand stores. You know, being a fashion design major, I would like to have the newest, latest fashion trends. But I learned to shift my point of views on certain things. So I secondhand. I drift in secondhand stores. Buying and selling things on that um, offer up, and so I'm not buying everything new all the time. Today, Andrea's working hard to correct her earlier financial missteps. I'm working seven days a week now, and my days are divided between these three jobs that I do. And three days I'm at the office, brokerage office, prospecting, cold calling, and trying to have a listing. And four days I work at a restaurant serving tables in the morning. In the afternoon, I have a little free time. And that's when I do my freelancing, designing and furnishing people's homes. I was able to pay off one of my credit cards fully. So I only have one credit card now, debt. And all my debt altogether, I calculated I'm in a debt of $43,000. Her debt isn't the only thing that's alarming. I have no saving account, I don't have any IRA, I don't have any health insurance. So basically, I'm in that rat race, getting paid whatever the money I bring in goes back out to my bills, paying everything on time. She wants advice on paying off her debt and then tackling the rest of her financial goals. I understand my debt is not as bad to other people, $43,000 altogether, but... With my current situation, also looking at my future, how should I prioritize things? Should I concentrate on paying off my debts? Or should I also do some side hustle and keep saving or invest my money so I can turn my money around faster and quicker? I understand there's a risk involved with that. I would like to learn more about what can I do? Like, I'm, I just turned 30 years old. And all my teenage and my 20s, I was just struggling with money, working for money, right? But I want to change the mentality around it. I want my money to start working for me. So what kind of investments I should do? How should I open up? Or where should I approach opening up my IRA account? And I would like, within three years, I would like to purchase my first house. And start running a, like a side hustle, like, you know, buying old houses and flipping it and et cetera. So in order to do that, I need an ex- extensive amount of cash, money, start the side hustles. Andrea's experience as an undocumented immigrant may have shaped her previous attitude towards money, but her future goals are thoroughly American. Coming from a different country, the money wasn't really discussed within a family or learned how to managed. Now, half of my adult life in the United States, now it's my second home, what I have known so far over the last 15 years. So if I wanted to live 
and make my living over here and continue to live and call America home, I definitely need to change my views and attitude towards money, how I manage my finances. For today's episode, we're welcoming back financial expert Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez. This is Stephanie O'Connell-Rodriguez. I write about women, work, worth, and money at stephanieoconnell.com, and I'm the author of The Broke and Beautiful Life. So, Stephanie, Andrea reached out to us after listening to this podcast, and she's hoping that we can give her some financial advice. She and her mother, like a lot of undocumented immigrants, they had a cash-based lifestyle. So we heard from Andrea when she was able to get a credit card, she did go overboard. How can women that are listening in similar situations prepare themselves when they get access to credit cards and bank accounts? So the thing about cash is that it's physical. It's something I can hold and touch. I can see when it runs out, and so I can't spend any more than I have in my hand. So we have to think about what are the ways in which we can create the same systems, even if we're dealing with things electronically. So if I'm using a credit card, what I need to do is be checking my statements every month. I need to be tracking my spending, maybe on an app that I can pull up on my phone and hold in my hand and at any given moment see whether I actually have the money to pay for what I'm purchasing with the swipe or not. So as much as we can make our digital financial world tangible to us, whether it's through apps, tools, images, tracking, the better off we're going to be in making that transition. Let's start with where she is in terms of interest rates, because that stood out a lot for me. She, on some of her credit cards, are paying 21%. Mm -hmm. And on her personal loan, she's paying 15%. The reasons for that is she was undocumented for so long. And it's only recently she has become documented and is able to apply for credit cards. 27 million Americans are credit invisible. I arrived in this country as credit invisible, which is a terrifying place to be when you look to rent a car, rent a house, get a phone. So as a newer immigrant to this country, you are on the back foot when it comes to your credit score, right? Yes, absolutely. If you don't have the tools to build a credit history, if you can't you know, rent an apartment, if you can't qualify for a credit card, it's really challenging. And, you know, I have been building credit for 15 years and I only now have enough credit history for that not to be a negative on my credit profile. So let's say you've only been here, you know, credit visible, let's say for a few years, then that's a huge impact on your capacity to build credit and have a good credit history. And then when you do get credit for the first time, there is this temptation to to want to use it maybe Mm -hmm. more than we should. And so we have to be really conscious of both of those things that having access to credit isn't the same thing as being able to afford what we're putting on credit. And it's interesting because when you go from being credit invisible to having some form of credit, one of the ways to game the system is to have different lines of credit. And I learned that pretty quickly, like I have a personal loan and a credit card, I have a prepaid credit card. But my advice to everybody is only take out those lines, those different lines and build your credit score if you have the self-restraint to pay them back. So that's super important. I think one of the other things I want to touch on is a lot of Americans don't know their credit score at any given time. It's a travesty, right? Yeah. I think credit's one of those things that it's easy to think, oh, I'll get to it later. But then you go to apply for an apartment and you're like, 
oh, I need this to be good now. And I've personally had this experience where my credit was the reason I did or didn't get to live somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have a lot of savings. My credit score was my only kind of saving grace to prove that I was reliable. And I think this is what people don't understand about credit is credit is one of the only measures of reliability people have when it comes to financial decision making. Now, it's not a perfect measure. You know, just because you have a bad credit score doesn't mean you're bad at money. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're not reliable. Unfortunately, the way the system currently works, it's often the only measure Mm -hmm. that lenders have to assess those things. So whether they're going to rent you an apartment, whether they're going to give you a credit card, whether they're going to give you a good interest rate on a mortgage, your credit score is oftentimes one of the top metrics that those people are going to rely on to decide whether to lend you money and at what rate. So it's so important. And I would say two things to people listening. Number one, your credit score is a movable feat. You are able with the right you know, putting the right steps in place, doing the right things, your credit score is movable. I am proof alone of that. So that is one thing to know. Second of all, you've got to know your credit score. I use Credit Karma all the time on my phone. There's so many apps out there that will notify you if it's dipped, you know, if somebody's taken a report out on your credit and you need to dispute it, right? But unless you know that, you can't dispute it. So I think number one, that credit score is so important. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. In an email, Andrea shared details of her debt with us, which is around $43,000. Both her personal loan and her credit card have very high interest rates. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about these interest rates, too, in that with a personal loan around 15.5% and a credit card around 21%, like those debts have to become a priority for paying things off. Uh, I think this idea of building a financial foundation by getting that debt down, uh, at least if not to zero, then under control with a good repayment plan or refinanced at a better rate once your credit improves, I think those need to be the top priorities. So that would be your top priority. Look at your credit card, your interests, you know, they're too high for our liking. We need you to get down to a better place and you can do that by paying them off. Absolutely. Significantly. And and I think this is an important point is we talk a lot about savings and investments and the reason we talk about it is we want our money to work for us and I get that. You know, your your money grows in investment accounts. It can grow through real estate and that's really exciting. But if you pay down a high interest debt, that is a guaranteed return on your money of the interest rate. So like paying down a debt with a 15% interest rate Mm. is a guaranteed return of... 15% essentially if you had not paid all of that down and I would challenge anyone to find a guaranteed investment that returns 15% so think of paying down the debt as powerful if not more so than starting those investments and if she pays that debt down is she in a better place for when she does want to purchase a home that's one of her things that she wants to do she wants to purchase a home in paying down those debt does she put herself in a better situation for a better mortgage rate she does because it affects both her credit and it affects her debt to income ratio so uh, your debt to credit ratio that's how much of your available credit you're using at any given time is one of the biggest factors in determining your credit score so you don't want to be use if you have $10,000 worth of credit if you're using $10,000 of it at any given time 
time, it suggests to potential people who are going to loan you money that maybe there's a reason that you're using all your available credit because you can't afford to pay it down. And so if they give you more credit in the form of a mortgage, will you be able to pay that down? So you want to try to get those balances lower. And people with very good credit, they're they're using what, 10% of their credit yeah, line at any given 10% time? 10% is a pretty good metric. If you can keep it under 10% of, you, of your credit line at any given time, it's really great. And that's just the credit piece of it. There's also this debt to income ratio, and that's more of a factor when we get into the housing conversation. So when you start applying for a mortgage, they're going to want to know how much money you make, and they're going to want to know how much debt you have. And when they see those two numbers side by side, in addition to your credit, they're going to make some decisions about how much they feel comfortable lending you and at what rate. Right. She's in San Francisco, California. Not a, not a cheap place to own property, let's be honest. So I think, yes, number one, let's get control of the personal and the credit card loans and look at that. And then look towards getting the best mortgage rate that you could in the future. She's a freelancer. She's an independent contractor. She's doing, you know, real estate. She's asking the right questions. Where should she be looking to have an IRA account? How does she go about that? Absolutely. So to your point, she's on it. She's asking the right questions. It's great to be proactive. So there are a few options. Um, She can start with something like a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. This is a really great option for those who are self-employed. You can contribute as a 20 up to $6,000 per year in these accounts. These are tax-advantaged retirement accounts. What does that mean? What does tax-advantaged <laughs> mean? So in the traditional IRA, that's where the money that you contribute to that account, you get a tax deduction on those contributions. On the Roth IRA, you get the tax benefit when you withdraw the money. So you would still pay tax your regular taxes on the amount that you contribute to the account on the front end. But when it comes time to retire and you're withdrawing money from that account, you do not have to pay taxes on it again. So all those gains are tax-free, essentially. So these are great accounts because obviously the tax advantage and you're starting to plan for that long-term future. Another option is the SEP IRA, and this is specifically for self-employed individuals. Works very similarly to the Roth IRA, but has a higher contribution limit. Um, As of 2020, you can contribute up to $57,000 in that account. So that's like, you know, the Roth IRA may be your first step. But then as you're able to graduate onto the SEP IRA and really aggressively save for that long-term future. She also wants to know how she grow, how can she grow her income and think about her long-term financial goals while she's still struggling with debt. She's doing what a lot of us do, which is I want to take care of the immediate, but I also want to really feel like I'm planning for the future. Well, I love how proactive she is. So she's got a lot going on. She's got three different jobs. She's making $70,000 a year, which is a, a really good income. I know she's in the Bay Area, which is expensive. I would advise asking her to kind of sit down and look at the way she's spending that time on her side hustles compared to the return they're offering Mm. her. She's been doing the real estate brokering for eight months. She hasn't earned any commission. And that license alone, marketing, costs about five grand a year. So she's not seeing the return of the investment. Mm. When do you pull that side hustle and say, that's not working for me? Or do you give it another go? Well, I think there are a few questions. One is, does she enjoy doing it? That That's another important piece of this conversation. The, the bottom line is about value, and that's not just about dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. It's also about the way we spend our time and the way we enjoy our time. So I think that's really important. The second thing is thinking about the opportunity of the time cost. So it's taking a moment, doing a, an audit of the side hustles and figuring out whether that time, effort, money 
and joy is worth it or whether you pull that all into one job. Exactly. One of the things that was worrying, she doesn't have health insurance at the, the moment. That always scares the living crap out of me when I hear that from somebody. What can she do in terms of getting herself health coverage? It has to be a priority, first and foremost. You know, when you, even when you do have health insurance, you can be one accident away from bankruptcy. So without it, that's an even more pressing concern, and that's even a more close reality. So She doesn't have that much disposable income. Right. Where should she be looking for reasonable health coverage? So I would definitely recommend taking a look at her exchange uh, in California through Obamacare, see what options are available to her there. She can also consider looking at career paths that maybe offer health insurance through employment. She's not getting those benefits She's at not the getting, moment. And that includes things like the 401k and a match through there. So even if a job offered her the same amount of money, if she was able to get health insurance and a 401k matching program through that job, that would be a net positive of tens of thousands of dollars Quite effectively. It's a so great idea. I think that's something, you know, in, instead of really piecemealing together this real estate stuff with the design, maybe there's a way to channel this into a full-time job. But, you know, again, she has to decide what's the right balance for her. But I think that needs to be, number one is health coverage, whether it's through herself or through a new job. It's really important. And I also would say, and we've said this over and over again, we've mentioned it lots on this podcast, is that if you want it, the information is out there. The research is key in a lot of this, especially if you're going from a cash-centric world to a digital financial future. Do your research, do your reading, talk to people, get into groups, go on Facebook groups, but also just do a lot of reading and research in the areas that you're unfamiliar with or maybe confused about. I also like to say that I like to think of managing my money as a practice. It's not something I just check off my list. And so I set aside a dedicated time for my financial practice or my money dates with myself because I know it's not something I'm simply getting done. It's something I'm constantly working on evolving so that I can have my money work better for me based on what's happening to me in that moment. Like Stephanie said, managing your money is a practice and it's never too early or too late to get started. Every woman, whether you're an undocumented immigrant, a citizen or somewhere in between, needs to make financial literacy a priority. How you spend and save will depend on whether you're able to work legally, open a bank account or have access to credit. But regardless of your circumstances, the first step in taking control of your future is taking control of your finances. Get moving in the right direction today. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit glamour.com slash money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at glamour.com. Listeners, that was the final episode in season one of She Makes Money Moves. Thanks for listening and thank you for sharing your stories. We're still looking for guests for season two, so keep emailing us and follow Glamour across social media for more updates. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. 
The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman, with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Recording help provided by Alexis Link and Horace Wong. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez and our guest Andrea for sharing her story.